0: family moment uh, today where we just get to uh, look back and to look forwards to all that god is doing amongst us and I don't know about you, but I always I record in my phone a whole list of stories as I hear them across the year of what God's done, because my heart soon forgets what the Lord's done. Anyone else got a bad memory? I, I, I forget what God's done, and so I have to intentionally write it down so that I have review points through the year that I can look at it and think, ah, oh, yes, that reminds me. It stirs my faith for what he's done. So let me just tell you a couple of stories as we look back um, uh, across this year about what the Lord's done over the last academic year. Uh, one thing that stood out was, was a, a week Week where I think one of the, the the group team leaders who oversee the group's realize that we had 21-year-olds and 86-year-olds both leading groups at the same time. I love that. We got the breadth of... You obviously didn't love that. Well, I love that. The breadth of people that God raises leaders from all ages and stages of life. In one of our missional communities, a lady wrote in uh, to the group to say, this group has changed my life. I class this as my second family. I think a few months after that, she gave her life to Christ uh, and uh, and began following Jesus, which is exciting. Thank you, and You're excited. Um, I I love... So the, that's the, the biggest stories. I love the small stories. One of our In one of our kids' group, a young person um, ha, felt that they'd said some unkind words to a family member. And so they, they talked about that in the group. They prayed for them in the group. And then uh, they went back home and just went to that family member and said, I was sorry for what they'd said, and did a little chore, I think, to kind of help out around the home. I just love that story. <laughs> really stood out to me uh, this year. Um, we had one Sunday in this last year where... We had four or five prodigals, people who had walked away from uh, Jesus. Uh, actually, they all came back spontaneously on the same Sunday, orchestrated only by God. And it just re- reminded me, as I've read church history over the years, when there's a move of God, very often the prodigals come back, <laughs> they come home. And I just thought, the Lord, this is, you are flagging our attention that you are moving, that you are doing something uh, in, our, in our nation I love this story from the the night shelter, Uh, someone wrote this, I was waiting at the gate and a guy was hanging around outside the school, which is next door. He came over and asked if a lady still worked at the night shelter that he knew. Then he told me that he was homeless 20 years ago and stayed at the night shelter. I asked him some questions, he said he's now married, he's got five kids, and was waiting to pick up some of them from the school. It made me realize afresh in our work that we're not just fighting for this generation, but the generation yet to come. (laughs) Amazing, (laughs) amazing to hear that. And we've sent, we've sent teams, not, not just in the UK, but to France, to Spain, to Russia, to Poland, to Switzerland, to Germany, and a couple of uh, Muslim-majority nations that I can't mention because this is going online. So we've been sending teams and equipping and helping and serving other churches across this year. So I just wanted us to take a moment, so many stories I cu- couldn't tell, I've literally got pages and pages of stories, but let's just take a moment to thank God, shall we, you've been sitting for a while, why don't you just stand, why don't you uh, uh, get in the, with a person next to you maybe, or in twos and threes, let's just take a moment to pray together, shall we, and thank God for what he's done in the last year, thank him for his grace on our lives, let's just pray and give thanks, shall we? God, we're a grateful people. We are so thank you for your hand on our lives. Thank you for all that you do amongst us, the things that I've referenced and so many hundreds, thousands of other things, small and great that you've done this year. We're so grateful for how you've been with us. And as we look forward to this academic year, we thank you that we can go forward in the confidence that you are with us, that, that if God is for us, who can be against us? We just thank you for your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, Amen. Well, uh, a few years ago, um, we went on holiday as a family, and there was a swimming pool there, and it had um, three diving boards at different levels: one meter, three meters, five meters. I think it's like that. And the boys and I, we all like jumping off of things into water, ideally. Um, and so we all decided we we're going to do this. So we did the one meter, no problem. We went to do the three meter, and uh, Caleb jumped off, and then Ethan uh, froze. And he said to me before he went up, he said, "Look, if I freeze, just push me off." So. Um, <laughs> So uh, we talked about it while we are up there. We talked, I tried to persuade him. He couldn't be persuaded, so I just pushed him off. Well, as soon as I pushed him, he kind of spanned round, and I saw the look on his face. I thought, that was a parenting mistake right there. <laughs> that was an error right there. I should not have done that. I will never do that again, because it was a look of absolute sheer horror as he pl- He was fine, but anyway, you know, there's one of the kind of moments you realize, yeah, don't do that again. Anyway, so then uh, we were going to do that. I then jumped off. We then were going to do the next board. But I thought ah, that was a little bit high for me. Ethan was definitely, that is too high for me. He still hadn't forgiven me for the last time and didn't trust me for some reason. I don't know why. Um, and Caleb jumped off. Well, when he gets back down, he says, Dad, that board wasn't five meters. That board was a 10 meter board, the, the guy told me. So I was like, That means the middle board was a five meter board. I just pushed my son off a five meter board. What is wrong with me? I need locking up. So this morning, I want to give us a little push. I want to give us a push into the vision, but don't freeze on me because I might push you off a five meter board without realizing. I want us to give us a little push as we kind of unpack what God's been speaking to us about through uh, this vision. So turn to your neighbor and say, don't freeze now. Now's not the time. God is leading us into something this year. And as we saw on the on the, on the video, um, uh, three things. The first is this: finding healing. There's a new adventure in healing—physical, emotional, spiritual healing. God is wanting us to go deeper in both finding it ourselves and delivering it to others. And the the Bible makes. Clear that God did not make a sick world. He made a perfect world. He said that it was good, and yet sin came into the world, and through sin came death, and uh, disease and sickness and all of those things entered into the world because of sin. And when Jesus came, he said this: the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus came came to bring healing. Amen. He came to bring healing. He came to set people free on the inside and on the outside. He said to his earliest followers, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Meaning that it wasn't just his job, but that he was equipping us to do the same thing. Jesus came to bring life. Carl Barth puts it this way. The gospel accounts of the miracles and acts of Jesus are not just formal proofs of his messiahship, of his divine mission, authority, and power, but as such, they are objective manifestations of his character as the conqueror, not only of sin, but of evil and death, as the destroyer of the destroyer, as the savior in the most inclusive sense. I love that. Jesus is the destroyer of the destroyer. He loves to destroy the one who destroys. And the early church got it. They, and We read a few weeks ago, Paul, it says, extraordinary miracles that his, happened at his hands. The early church got it, and yet so much of the modern church has lost it. Has never, so many Christians who are alive today have never seen a miracle. They've never seen a healing. It's not commonplace in their towns that the church will be the center of setting people free emotionally and physically. And, and I know that because that's where we were, you know, 14 years ago. We had never seen the healing in the church, as far as I knew, I'd prayed for many people, and often they just got worse. You know, it just was not how the Bible portrays the church to be. And some people have challenged me since, since and said, Surely there must have been someone else healed. I was like, Honestly, I knew of no one who had been healed. I remember the very first one as I, uh, a guy came forward for prayer as we began to talk about this thing, and I, and I put my hand on his back, and as I put my hand on his back, my hand just became red hot. And he said, Oh, my back's getting hot. And on the outside, I was like, Yes, that's what happens when the Lord moves. On the inside, I was like, Yes, I think finally something's happening. (laughs) I didn't say that on the outside, but on the inside, I wanted to, as if it was happening all the time. But on the inside, I was so excited. And then, and and we finished praying, his back was completely healed and was like, So excited that God had broken in. And what was extraordinary, suddenly, suddenly has become normal over the years as God has moved. And you heard the story last night of, uh, last week of, of Mike, whose knee got rebuilt, and uh, uh, Caroline, who will be here in the second meeting, will tell the story herself. She was here. She's had a, a really bad foot problem uh, for a number of months since, since the summer. Um, and uh, as she arrived this morning, the, the Lord's, uh, uh, the last, last week, the Lord said to her, Ask Emily to pray for you, and you'll be healed. So at the end of the meeting, she went up to Emily. It was half half the worship, and she said, Emily, will you pray for me? And Emily said, sure, I will. Prayed for her. She was totally healed. It's just amazing that what was extraordinary has come commonplace, not just on the outside, but on the inside. God has taught us about uh, forgiveness and about... Uh, uh, breaking judgments and living free on the inside. I, I, last um, uh, Monday, I'm not, it wasn't related to the healing, but Caroline and I had the worst row we've had in years. I mean, it was a real, I don't know what the word is, humdinger, is that a word? It was a humdinger. And we had this row, And uh, 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 but what encouraged me, not the row itself, but later in the day, you know, normally if we'd have had a row like that years ago, that the, the after effects of that row would have lasted for a week or more. Anyone know that? You know, it kind of like the fridge gets slammed a little bit hard but (laughs) you know that kind of the after effects but actually by the end of the day we'd worked it through we'd come to connection resolution uh, uh, again we'd move forward by the next day we were able to make it a plan God has matured us he's done something in us some of you are thinking hallelujah at last I know it's taken us a while (laughs) but what I mean is we're growing in freedom and life together God has taken us and he is calling us deeper I believe this year is going to be a year we're going to grow in our theology. We're going to st- I'm going to get the Bible again and say, God, teach me more about setting people free, about finding freedom in my- for myself and others. We're going to grow in anointing. This all comes from his presence. We've got to learn again to soak in his presence and say, God, fill me again. Give me fresh gifts. Set me free so that I can free others. You know, I think one of the things that one of the gifts that we desperately need more of in the church is the gift of discernment. We need to work out why is someone not well? What's going on? What's behind it? Because so often the symptoms are this, but the actual cause is something over there. We need an outpouring of the gift of discernment. We need an outpouring of the gift of miracles. We need God to do something from his spirit. We're going to grow in practice, I believe, actually learn more about how to bring and minister healing. It's brilliant, isn't it, that we've got people training to be professional counselors. At the same time, we've got people who are praying for the sick on the streets. I love that we can do both, the outside and, and the in. God is calling us in our understanding of this. He's calling us to go deeper. And it's recognizing that it's, It's not just about physical healing. It's about setting people free in so many different ways. You know, it's giving someone dietary advice to eat more healthily. It's standing at the water cooler at work and giving a word of wisdom to a colleague who's been through a messy divorce about how they can restore and move forward, how they can build a healthy life again. Bringing healing and freedom looks so diverse. It's up for all of us. It's not just down to a few. It's for all of us to say, God, how can I grow? How can I be a minister of your kingdom life to the world around? Bill Johnson said this years ago, what you will tolerate will dominate. And there are too many hurting and sick and dying people out there. We've got to get out there. The professionals are overrun. This is about the body of Christ rising up and saying, we will stand in the gap by the power of the Spirit on us. This year is going to be about finding healing. It's going to be about developing gifting. 1 Corinthians 12 says this, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge. He goes on to list another list of gifts. And he said, All these are empowered by the one and same Spirit who gives to each one individually as he wills. Ephesians 2 says this, For we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here's the thing Jesus has put his gifts on the church, he has poured out his gifts. This is not just down to our own effort, this is not just down to our natural ability, it's down to him. It's about Jesus and his life flowing into his church. And I want to encourage us this year don't be passive. You know, for years, I read uh, uh, that, that, that verse in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11. It said, all these are the works of the same spirit. He distributes these gifts, each one, as he determines. And you know what? The fruit in me was passivity. I was like, oh, well, I just, I guess I was at the back of the queue. I guess I didn't really get much when it came to the gifts being given out. You know, I guess it just made me a little bit passive. I maybe look at other people and just say, oh, gosh, I wish I was like them, a little bit more gifted like them. I mean, I still do that, but... but uh, <laughs> It made me look at other people. It made me, it, that verse made me pa- passive because I'd never read to the end of the chapter which said this in verse 31, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. It's both and. It's saying the Holy Spirit is pouring out his gifts liberally. Now be the ones who are saying, yes, we should be like Shrek and Donkey. Uh, Donkey and Shrek, pick me, pick me, pick me. We're, we should be a spirit of not passivity, but a spirit that says, God, pour out your gifts into my life. Don't be passive this year. Growing gifts. Say, God, the, there's a world out there that's dying that needs your gifts in my life. I want to be one who stands up. I want to be one who places my hands, who gives my words, who speaks wisdom and life into the world around. Put your gifts on me. Don't be passive and don't get paralyzed. Here's the other thing. So many believers are paralyzed because of a fear of pride. Oh no, who am I to stand up? You know, Maybe people will think I'm prideful. I was paralyzed for years with that. The fear of what other people would think if I try and grow in a gift or express a gift in some way. And and the Lord, I I was wrestling with the Lord one time about this and said, Lord, I'm so worried about pride. He said, Simon, follow me. I'll keep you humble. I was like, okay. I'm not sure I like the sound of that. But anyway, so I did. And you know what? He's been very faithful with his promise. Very, very faithful with his promise. He will keep me humble. Why? Because he makes me do things I don't want to do. He makes me speak to strangers on the street or in restaurants. He makes me uh, tell stories to you guys that I don't want to say, that are humiliating and embarrassing. He makes me talk about my marriage and my family and the failures, and he's faithful to his promise. (laughs) Here's the thing. You're worried about pride? Here's the antidote. Obedience. If you obey the Lord, He will keep obedience has implicitly within it humility. Because when I humble myself to obey, then pride gets flushed out. And here's the other antidote: like, use your gifts to serve. Gifts are not a badge to make us look, ooh, look at me. No, no, no they're a gifts so that we can get in the trenches and help people and raise other people up, so we can get our hands dirty. Obey and serve, and you will stay humble. And it just breaks us off of this false humility that says, oh, no, I don't want to be. No, 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 forget that stuff. You need to be the greatest version of yourself you can possibly be. You need to be the most gifted person you can possibly be. Why? So that you can look great and, you know, no. So that you can help a dying world. So that you can raise a church. So that you can pour into the next generation. All of us need to become who God has made us to be. And seek out multiplying relationships this year. This is what it says in 2 Timothy, where Paul's speaking to uh, to, to, uh, Timothy, his his friend, his co-worker, his son in the Lord. He says this, You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Notice this, Paul, Timothy, trustworthy people, others. (laughs) There's four generations in that one sentence. We are part of a multi-generational movement. So that means that we should all be looking for who can, who can help me, who can mentor me. We should be going to people and saying, I see a gift on you. Can you help me? Can I serve you in some way? And we should be looking to pass on our gifts to other people. It's the false humility that stops us. We think, oh no, I couldn't possibly ask. Oh no, I've got nothing to give away. Break that rubbish. You have got something to give away now. Find someone to give it to. And you need to receive from others. Find a mentor, someone who can help you. And that that, don't don't get stuck in the rut of I've got you know I've got to find a father I've spent years looking for I've got a father I find a father in the Lord you know I haven't got a father in the Lord I spent years doing that it's a complete waste of time you've got one father in the Lord he is the Lord and he will provide many other fathers and many other mothers for you many other mentors many other people to help you if you will see he is your father come Holy Spirit. Move through us. This year, let's grow in our gifting. Let's find out what God's made us to be. Let's break off the passivity. Let's break off the things that would hold us back. And then lastly, fresh pioneering. David Devonish, who's a a father uh, in our movement of churches, spoke this over us years ago. I want you to be like an army that goes in the vanguard of my purposes. I want you to keep there on the edge, take some risks. I'm saying that to you to be on the the edge for me. Don't pull back into the safety zone. I'm putting into you a radical pioneering heart because the dawn is coming. King's Arms has always been a pioneering community. From the ministry to the poor to healing to the, the work we've done uh, in this building uh, to, to so many different ways that God has called us to pioneer. And we just feel again the Lord is speaking to us to pioneer again, to pioneer again. And, and sometimes we get stuck. I remember years ago we uh, were stuck. We could not get 30 groups. We needed more. We just couldn't get 30 groups running and operating at the same time. And so we went to another church and, and we came back. As we spent, spoke to them, and we said, how do you get more people to lead groups? And they're like, oh, we never advertise for group leaders. We're like, how on earth do you do it then? They said, all we do is we say, what's God saying to you and what are you going to do about it? What's God saying to you and what are you going to do about it? And we just say that one-on-one. We say it from, we preach it. We just say it again and again and again. Because we believe God has put his vision in the hearts of his people. We're like, oh, why don't we think of that? So we came back and we started doing the same thing. And instead of having to pedal hard and recruit more leaders, instead it's like, What's God saying to you and what are you going to do about it? Again and again and again. And we've seen a phenomenal show. We blew through 30 groups, no problem. I think we're up near 60 now. God has done an incredible thing, the diversity, things that you wouldn't have thought anyone would want to lead in. They want to lead in. God put his vision in our hearts. Who knew? It's his church. (laughs) He put his vision in our hearts. And so he's doing that again. I remember uh, uh, Sam, who runs our Beauty for Ashes group, before that group began, as we began to say these things, Sam, I don't know if she's here, Sam, somewhere, I don't know if she is, anyway, maybe in the next meeting, she was, um, she came forward and spoke to Karen, and said, oh, and she's just a real gentle lady, and she said, well, maybe I could run a group, and, and Karen said, well, what, what would you like to do? She said, well, I'm all ready to come and do it, I'm going into like an asylum center and, and, and speaking to a few ladies, but... Uh, there's only other, one other lady who occasionally comes with me, so I'm mostly on my own. Maybe a group could form around that. And Karen said, well, how many ladies are you talking to each week? And she said, oh, about a hundred. She's like, you're preaching to a hundred women every week on your own. And she's like, well, there's you know, sometimes an the occasional helper. <laughs> What's God saying to you and what are you going to do about it? What's God saying to you and what are you going to do about it? You know. There's something about fresh pioneering. And, and, you know, the other thing, sometimes we just go a bit wrong. So years ago, probably five years ago, our history would have been we spoke so much about leadership in the church. You know, if you wanted to be a leader, it was all about leadership in the church, which we need. But we'd miss the fact that so many express most of their leadership out in the, in the workplace, or in the home or in the school and, and, and we weren't valuing that at all and so we began to shift the pendulum and began to speak much more about scattered servants, about the, uh, about the kingdom realities of expressing our life out in the workplace and, and it's just been amazing, I think we counted up the other day, in the last three years there have been 34 businesses started by people from this church thirty four businesses you weren 't as impressed by that as i was thirty four businesses from catering to to uh, 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 personal um, development and uh, to coaching it 's just been amazing to see uh, what god 's done as he 's developed and put this pioneering spirit to to show what he wanted to do out in the marketplace. And now I start to worry, have we got enough leaders in the church? (laughs) It's both ends. We need both leaders who are mostly expressing out in the marketplace, out in the workplace, and leaders who are, this is my calling is to lead in the church, and some who will do both. It's it's both ends. You know, the other day, uh, this weekend, we had a church planting conference uh, at Woodside Church, one of our sister churches, and... um, what I noted that out of a thousand of us, and it's like in our town with Mike Pilavarci speaking, I mean, you can't get a good enough, better ticket than that. Out in our, from our church, we had three people there, and one of them was me, and I'm not planning to plant a church. So I'm thinking, God, you need to stir something afresh in us as we start to see, okay, where else are you, where else are you calling us to plant? Where else are you calling us to reach out to? What else are you putting in us? Who else are we raising up? lead and start churches not just in this new site but in other things in the future this is what it says in philippians 3 what is more i consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing christ jesus my lord For whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. And somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already attained these things, or have been already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. I love those verses. I've read them so many times, but they always speak to me. I want to know Christ. I don't want to know about Christ. I don't want other people to hear, tell me stories about Christ. I want to know Him myself. Do you have that cry? Can you hear that? Those words written two thousand years ago. I want to know Christ. I want to know Him. I want to go in deeper into Him. And I want to get hold of that which he's got hold of me for. The transformation of a life that is my life. I want to get hold of that. This year, that is our call. To go deeper in these things. We've got 31.5 million seconds this year. How are we going to use them? (laughs) How are we going to use those 31.5 million seconds to go deeper into the things of God? and so I want us just to take a moment just to consider what's he saying to you what are you going to do about it in finding healing in developing gifting in fresh pioneering where's he speaking to you this year what's the next step for you as we move forward I want us to think about those things and I'd love us to give into our vision together Uh, this whole message was meant to be on giving but I just didn't have the heart for it I just, I just want us to get caught up with the vision of what God's doing, and then I know that we'll give in to it. <laughs> you know, I, I, years ago, I've told you this story before, but I used to fast and hate fasting. I used to hate fasting, but I did it faithfully because it's kind of what the thing you ought to do. And then a wise, godly mentor said to me, Simon, don't fast until you can't stand not fasting. I was like, don't fast until you can't stand. I'm never going to not stand not fasting. Brilliant. I'll never fast again. It was awesome. It was such a releasing moment. Don't stand until you can't stand not fasting. Well, that's never going to happen. I hate fasting. Within six months, I was fasting again. Why? Because I prayed for someone and there was no power. I'd prayed for someone and there was no power. And I remembered Jesus' words, this stuff only gets dealt with by prayer and fasting. And suddenly I wanted to fast, but for a whole different reason. (laughs) So I would say to you this morning, don't give until you can't stand not giving. Some of you are like, brilliant, I'll never give a penny again. Well, if that's what's in your heart, then God bless you. But I want to say this to you. The reason that we give is this. We give because we want to be like our dad. And this is what it says in the scriptures about him. How much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Our father is a generous father, and we give because we want to be like our dad. We give because we've seen what he's doing on the planet, and we want to be part of it. We give because it it reveals whether we joined an organisation or a family. You know, in an organisation, I expect to be served; in a family, I expect to serve. It's just just the way it is. You know, Caroline's parents are incredibly generous, and uh, they always pay for the meals whenever we go out to a restaurant. And when we were first married, I used to like it. I used to think, free food, come on, bring it on. <laughs> Who can complain? But you know what? The, the older I got, the more mature I got, the more uncomfortable I become. And so now I fight to pay, and they mostly pay, but sometimes I get in there. And it's like a real result if they'll let me pay. What's that about? Why don't I just like, take the free food? It's about maturity, isn't it? It's about maturity. Kids expect the world to be paid for by them, but when you mature, you want to contribute. (laughs) You want to play your part. Don't stand, don't give until you can't stand not giving, because it's a sign that God's done something in your heart. And we give when we realize that we are investing, when we've understood that money is like a seed. And seed can either be eaten or it can be invested. Seed can be sown and it produces more, more seed. Seed can be eaten or it can be invested and God gives both he gives seed for bread to be for the eater and seed to the sower and we've understood that some money is meant to be consumed on our needs and our family's needs and those around us and some is meant to be sown and that as we sow as we sow we will reap a spiritual reward sometimes that's more money and sometimes it's in other ways we give because we want to be like our dad we give because we, we just know that God's done something in our hearts and that he's transformed us and that it reveals whether we're part of a family or not. And we give because we've understood investment. That spiritual investment is what this is life is all about. That what we do with our money will come and go, but what we invest for eternity will reap a reward. That's why we give. And so let's, as a community, go this year to ask him to do what he's promised to do let's take a moment to pause in our hearts and to say Lord what are you saying to me what am I going to do about it